we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Artful Dodger formed in Fairfax, Virginia in 1973, originally called Brat. Their self-titled debut was released by Columbia in 1975, produced by Jack Douglas. It was a strong album, but the second record, Honor Among Thieves, was even better in my opinion. It's a 70s rock classic. They stumbled a bit with their third album, Babes on Broadway, in large part due to questionable production from Eddie Leonetti. They really missed Jack Douglas, and probably lack of time to write the songs. Then came the fourth album, Rave On, in 1980, released by Areola Records. It's the band's best, in my opinion. An overlooked gem filled with great power pop and punchy rock and roll. I recently re-released an episode I did about the band years ago, along with my Badfinger episode. But on today's episode you'll hear a conversation I had with Artful Dodgers drummer, Steve Bergida. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I should have asked Steve when I had him on the line. Anyways, what a nice guy and a great band. Check it out. I can't even tell you how much of a fan I am of Artful Dodger. One of my favorite bands ever, honestly. Uh, wow, I'm honored. 70s rock and power pop, I'm such a big fan of. And uh, I still remember when I found... I had the first album back in the 90s, probably because of one of those compilations that Wayside was on. I still remember finding Honor Among Thieves and Babes on Broadway. They were 
in the dollar bin, <laughs> you know, at the <laughs> wow. record store. And I bought uh-huh. them. And, man, Honor Among Thieves, I love so much. And then later I got Rave On, and that's my favorite one <laughs> of all your records. Yeah, Rave On is, is my favorite album. Oh, um, I think it's, it's, it's a shame, too, because we had the right personnel and everything with Peter joining the crew. Um, with the keyboards and wonderful guitar and just a great attitude. we But we were already pretty much dead, you know, I mean, just yeah. emotionally dead. We had toured, you know, and driving eight hours, playing a half-hour opening set for somebody, getting booed off the stage, checking the, the stores and no product. And it just, we felt like we were, I didn't think that, you know, or we didn't think, we were catching fire at all. Yeah. Yeah. Rave On's a great album. I, I think it's, uh, you know, there's some great moments in all the other albums and for sure. Honor could honor among these. If it had had, I think more like a production of the Rave On album, the sounds, you know, the tones and everything, I think it would have been more critically acclaimed something happened and i you know a lot of people blame eddie lee and eddie but i i don't know i i enjoyed eddie he was fun but i don't think he brought out the best in us necessarily jack changed our lives at least the rhythm section and uh made a album like rave on possible It seems like the difference between the first album and Honor Among Thieves is the first album has much of more of that jangly power pop kind of feel. The Honor Among yeah. Thieves is much more of just a rock and roll record, which I also love. I mean, Keep Me Happy, uh, Not Enough. Right. I love those songs.
Jack was a strong force. And he, you know, I think he envisioned and, and sort of and drew from the talents of the band. With Gary Cox in the band, we had a strong harmony singer. And he, and he loved working in the studio. He wasn't very effective live as a lot of players are, but in the studio we could get, we were almost like an, you know, we were shooting for an American Hollies or something, you know, really a jangly 12 string and, you know, Hollies type harmonies, Beatlesque. With Honor, we sort of went the direction uh, the more, yeah, like you said, 70s rock. We were trying to be like the Rolling Stones, but right. the, the tones are so one-dimensional. There's no space or something. Something's wrong with it, in my mind, because the basic tracks sounded pretty good, and then when you know the finished product, I was disappointed. But I liked the tunes were good. Oh, yeah. The songs are great on that record. Well, thank you, man. That's nice. It's nice that people are still talking about us. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm always amazed. It's like, yeah, it was so, we thought we were like in the Alamo or something, getting just overrun by failure. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you. I mean, you put out really quality material to get overlooked in comparison to a lot of other bands is uh, unfortunate, but it's kind of a, that's what, you know, as a big music fan, that's the average person just has no idea how much great music there is that wasn't wasn't yeah. a hit. It just it doesn't have that's, to be a hit to be good. That's what people can't understand. You know. Yeah. A lot of stuff just well, kind of got different... overlooked. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That I'm honored among thieves. <laughs> <laughs>
definitely Artful Dodger get put in there with like the Raspberries and and Big Star and you know those bands like a band like Blue Ash. There's different bands that kind yeah. of get talked about. Yeah, it's definitely because of your first album more than anything because so of songs like Waveside. Yeah. yeah. But then, uh, First, uh, of course, on Rave On, there's some classic power pop songs on that record, too. So, Yeah, I mean, to me, It's a Lie is one of my favorite tunes. It's got everything I, I need mm-hmm. to determine, you know, define a favorite song. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know what power pop is. I mean, the Beatles are power pop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or not? I don't know. I mean... It it's like a, I guess the definition for me is a lot of harmonies. You know, emphasis on the melody, but there's it's powerful with you know power chords or like a who type. I don't know, but yeah, I guess I haven't thought about it very much. But yeah, people tend to file us as power pop, and and um, I I don't rave on. There's only a couple songs that are power pop to me, but. Um, being anywhere connected with the raspberries and i'm deeply honored i think they were a great group and eric carmen is a force of nature yeah i think uh it's you know wayside is such a respected song and i think that's that's where you get put in that category of like (laughs) early power pop band is because of how how big that song sounds, how lush and, you know, how melodic it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally tip my hat to Jack Douglas because I mean, we we were playing the instruments, but it was like his brain or something. And, and, uh, Gary Harrowick's guitar lead on that song is one of the high points of artful Dodger. In my mind, that lead, I could listen to that. And he doubled it with, he played an electric guitar and then he played John Lennon's acoustic doubled over it. And it's such a beautiful tone. You know, the tone is perfect. The notes, I mean, the, the playing is great. It's just, it's, I'm so proud of that moment. And, you know, Jack was, at least, especially back then, I think he was more guitar and melody-oriented than drums and stuff. But he worked hard with Steve and I on rhythm and, and uh, you know, and how to make yourself an integral member in a, in a group, an important member, even just by playing, you know, beats and stuff. And, and uh, just taught me how to think. And, and that's a wonderful gift you can't buy. I'm so grateful to him and I'm so grateful to Bob Dawson at the very end, the last album, because without 
you know, the first rung of the ladder with Jack teaching me how to think and then Bob teaching me how to get there, you know, tempo and everything. I'm, I'm better now. I wish I could play all those tracks over again. <laughs> now at 68, mm-hmm. I would have done a better job. It's interesting that Jack Douglas took that approach with you guys because that's not the kind of sound he really made with the other bands he worked with, you know? But I think that's a great producer that doesn't, he doesn't yeah. put his stamp on it. He puts, he drew the best of us and he drew the best of Cheap Trick and he drew the best of Aerosmith and he drew the best of John Lennon. And, you know, whatever project he worked on, I think he, he, it was like he wasn't Jack, you know, I'm going to make a Phil Spector sound or something. You know, he wasn't striving for a Jack Douglas sound. It was like, you know, took time and looked at you and made you presented you in the best light he could for you. You know, and that that's his trademark, I think, um, which is great. I mean, I'm I'm so blessed to have worked with that. That's the way I feel. I don't know if I speak for the whole band, but quite a few of them. He must have heard it in the songs because. I'm just thinking about the other stuff he did in the 70s. It's almost all hard rock, you know? That's pretty much right. what Jack Douglas did was hard rock. But with Artful Dodger, he didn't, he he went, he made it a much more of a lusher sound, you know? And it must be, could be because yeah. that's how he heard your songs, you know? Well, I mean, the, the demo tape that got us signed to Lieber Krebs, Jack happened to be in the room when Gary Cox delivered the tape. And, you know, David Krebs was so knocked out with Bill's voice. He said, should I just sign the, the singer? Mm-hmm. And Jack said on like on a whim, which affected our lives. Yeah, I signed the whole band. I'll work with him. And he did, you know, and he made us all important members. But I mean, Bill's an unbelievable singer in my mind. I think he's, one of the best on the planet. But Jack, when he came down and listened to the songs, it was, you know, mostly Bill, but he brought out the harmonies from Gary Cox and brought out a couple, you know, Cox was a strong songwriter, but he also had the, um, I don't know, the uh, luxury of, you know, only, you know, to be very selective on his songs. You know, he could throw, you know, he only had to, bring one or two to the band or he'd only bring his best ones and gary and bill were writing the bulk of the material so you know but yeah and and gary cox's songs i don't think we couldn't reproduce them live very effectively we weren't a bread or a you know we wanted we would rather be a small faces or a faces or a rolling stones or something you know that's where most of us were at and Gary Cox sort of, I mean, while he made us a certain sound, there was a, I love Artful Dodger with Cox, Gary Cox in it, but my favorite band is with Peter in it. And we were great live. I thought, you know, Mm -hmm. well, that's interesting to think about, like you said, the faces and uh, I mean, that's an obvious reference point with Billy's voice, but that would have been a big mistake to just kind of take you guys I, down that road I, of just being a I faces know, knockoff. I agree. I, yeah. I agree. Uh, you know, like 
you know, if you you don't want to be if you sound like Bruce Springsteen, born to rerun kind of right. thing, you know. <laughs> so maybe that was part um, of yeah. Douglas's thinking. You know, maybe he was like, we don't want we don't want these guys to sound like the faces. They'll just get a me. I mean, that's all anybody will talk about. They're just yeah, being dismissed. They'll, they'll catalog us right with right. A, you know a faces knockoff and you know Rod Stewart and the faces sugar free or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a you're probably right. But all I know is he worked hard from the ground up on, you know, a lot of songs and, um, you know, from the basic tracks and, and the, you know, bass and drums, every one of us knew what every note was going to be. It wasn't, and that's completely different from where I came from, where you just, you know, I, and I, and I'm reverted back, unfortunately, to, I don't play the same thing twice, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. but Jack had us have parts. And I think that structure and push, you know, drive the song. And it's so important. Um, yeah, I'm grateful. And I'm grateful that you think we're a great band. I, you know, it was tough driving eight hours, playing a half hour for you know, opening for Rush or whatever and getting booed off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, when yeah, when you're that good, it must be a struggle to, and to yeah. watch other bands hit that aren't even as good <laughs> as you. <laughs> <Can't be. laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's frustrating. Um, near the end, I mean, we were kind of almost at each other's throats it was like a bad marriage or something you know and mm-hmm. but uh but we we're love you know we're blood brothers now and i guess we went through like vietnam vets or something we went through a, a battle or a war i don't know we didn't win but you know we are what we are <laughs> i think i guess the reason that you get put in that power pop category is just because not a lot of stuff sounded like Wayside when Wayside came out, you know. There's not a lot of bands you can point to that were quite doing yeah. that. And I, so, I love the mix, too, with the bass way up and yeah. um, great guitar, you know, the power guitar tones. But the bass is like, it was almost like the disco was real big in 75 or whatever. And, and um, I don't know what his mindset was, but it, it, I love the mix. And I always have for some reason, even though it just seemed when I first heard it, it's like, wow, that's, that's like a rough mix where you're checking, you know, when you check instruments, you, you turn them up to make sure there's no glitches or something. But now I wouldn't want it any other way. It's, um, you hear everything, you know, there's yeah. congas in there. You don't hear them until you really listen, but, and the harmonies are fabulous, you know, and, and, uh, no, he just, I think he, if we had continued to work with him, it might've been really interesting. Um, we definitely wouldn't have had, uh, you know, a rave on, but we would have had something more Hollies or, maybe more wayside hopefully evolved but yeah wayside i'm very proud of and like i said that lead is one of the musical i mean everything billy did practically i love and i love 
Gary Cox's stuff, but I, you know, like who in the world. And the third album was interesting. You know, there's some good tones on that. Yeah. There's some good moments on the third album, but it seems like, yeah, uh, it, it seems like maybe you were, for whatever reason, the album was trying to be something different than the band really was. It seems right. Like. I think, yeah, it was. I mean, Gary Cox was inviting people and not really talking to the rest of the band. And, and um, Columbia was upset with us. And that was probably the low point. But, but I, yeah, you're right. There's some great moments in, on that album, like all the albums, you know. But Rave On is the, the best album. And, and really, it's, it's almost a conglomeration of demo tapes that we made. We, you, you know, we never went in to record Rave On. It was like, it was just a group of, and Hank Lacani from Cleveland um, said, I think I could market the band. So he got a deal with Arista and Areola was a branch of that. And I mean, that, Hank Lacani made that possible, you know, rest in peace. You know him, right? He, he owned a bunch of clubs in the Midwest, uh, Agora, yeah, he was, um, that was and he was Cleveland? like our manager. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rave On, what's so great about Rave On is it takes all the best elements from the first album and the second album and just makes them even better. So you've got the the great power pop songs and the great 70s rock songs. And yeah, wow. it's just well, such thank a great you. Yeah. <laughs> it really is amazing. Every song. <laughs> Man, I, the, the check's in the mail, brother. <laughs> Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. 
It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Do you remember yeah. how Wayside came together? Do you remember when that song was written and and when you were putting it, yeah. when you were arranging it and everything? Can you t- talk about that? Yeah, um, I remember it was it was one of the few songs that really wasn't written until you know they they were take they took it to Jack unfinished, um, and like we would have treated it much more like a Who song. There would have been you know. I, the first time I heard it, those power chords, I was doing, you know, channeling my best Keith Moon. I was just playing, you know, like think of the drum part, uh, I can see for miles or something, you know, where, you know, not so much of a beat. Uh, you know, I didn't hear that. I just heard like explosions, like a bar fight going on. And, and that's the way I treated it. And Jack, whoa, we're going to, you know, treat it like a Motown groove or something. And I'm going, okay. You know, you know, he wanted that bass line to be the thread and the, and like the, that's like the root or the, you know, trunk of the tree and the, and the branches turned out to be, um, you know, the guitar and vocals that, you know, that bass line just weaves through it like a string through a, thing of pearls or something i think it's so great i i wouldn't have seen it i didn't you know it's a unique way to approach that wow yeah and it sounds like he he played a major role in in how that first Mm -hmm. record sounds 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we didn't, we were like, we didn't know what the hell was going on. I mean, I don't care what, I hope I'm not pissing off anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we were construction by day and, and bias studios, you know, specked us the money by night, you know, to record and, and, uh, you know, we didn't play clubs or anything. Um, we, we just made demo tapes and, uh, we loved the New York dolls. I mean, and, um, yeah. Lieber Krebs were involved with the New York dolls. So we, yeah. uh, had Gary Cox who wasn't working at the time, you know, um, go up to New York and it was the Lieber Krebs was the first place he stopped. And, and Jack was in there talking about get your wings or toys in the attic or something. I don't know what, and that's how that happened. Interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Could yeah, could have Jack, been Bill Palacelli. Jack did a lot of work on that New York Dolls album. Um, from what I, I understand, Rundgren wasn't even around a lot of the time, and, and yeah, Doug I know. Was I was did fascinated the to hear that. Yeah, but did you did you read that Jack just let him play? Mm-hmm. Well, so did Todd. I mean, um, but he said this is art. You know, I mean, Jack at the time, Jack could have gotten session men to play our songs and it would have been steady and great and sterile, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm so grateful. He, he came down and worked for, a, you know, at least a month, maybe even two on basic tracks. And, you know, we work at the, in the rehearsal room, just bass and drums. And then the band would come in. And I mean, it was, it, it wasn't no lollygagging, man. It was, I mean, we had fun, but it was, you know, he, gave us structure yeah no that first record is uh obviously a lot of work went into it and it's totally a classic i mean the the fact that wayside isn't like a rate a rock radio staple you know it just doesn't make any sense there's just certain songs like that that you don't understand why i mean (laughs) if they just played that if they had been playing that on the radio since then Everybody would like yeah. that song. Who wouldn't like it? I don't under you know it doesn't doesn't well, make a lot you know, of sense. You, but what you say, there's a lot of truth because um, they were playing. They played "Scream" and you know on on the radio stations in Cleveland, and we were like we were big in Cleveland. I mean, of course, so yeah, I you think... guys were tailor made for for that scene at that time, yeah. <laughs> and and um. But it, yeah, it was just amazing that if back in the seventies, if you were played on the radio, you were popular. You know, people told you what to like. Yeah. And and, and the music business back then, there were twenty people in suits be, between you and a record contract. Like nowadays, you can just, you know, with your home equipment, you can record. And there's some unbelievably beautiful stuff that's just. You know the music world is inundated. There's no money, and uh, I remember Steven Tyler telling us um, in at David's office, if you guys do make it, the money just pours in like like a leaky roof. There's so many leaks, oh, but man. if you don't make it, you know, which is likely, you're not going to see any money. Yeah, you'll stay in debt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Thank you. 
You know, the the song that got us signed was It's Over. We had a demo tape of It's Over. And David Krebs loved Billy's vocals. And like I said, you know, he he just loved Billy's vocals. And he was wondering if he should just sign the, the singer. And Jack said, nah, sign the whole band. And so that was, that was like the most important song for Jack to impress David with. And so... He was trying to think. He loves themes of, of, you know, both song and album. Yeah. And he was trying to think of a thing that would, you know, like the string through the pearls of that song. And he um, thought he was watching an early Frankenstein movie where you can hear a pulse going, you know, boom, boom, all the way through the, the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like his story about Walk This Way. <laughs> You've heard that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But, but um, so the bass starts out, boom, boom, you know, and then there's pretty much a bass pulse like that throughout the, when the, when the band, you know, when the guitar's da-da-da, then I hit the bass drum or whatever. When it, when the singing first comes in, I, I'm, I'm hitting a suspended bass drum. You can barely hear it, but that pulse continues, and that—that that was his theme. That's just a little trivia. I don't know. Yeah. You can. Yeah, he. But, yeah, yeah. I, I know that he would like to have a kind of a running theme through a whole album. I know that's how he approached yeah. the first Cheap Trick album too. Yeah. Um, yeah speaking he, of Cheap Trick, I wanted to. I'm actually working on a book about Cheap Trick. And so uh-huh. I wanted to ask you if you if you remember Jack Douglas talking about them or, or anything like that. Oh yeah, he he was talking about them before he was going to check them out. He said they've got a guaranteed market. You know they 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 tour the circuit in the Midwest, and and so even if they don't have a nationwide hit, it's a guaranteed you know whatever. 200,000 units or whatever. So, and he said, uh, you know, I think their songs are really strong. And, uh, 
yeah they're they're awesome man yeah because uh he would have when you guys were making honor among thieves he would have already he went and saw them in march of 76 was when he first went and saw them so i was thinking yeah. that he would have already been trying to get them signed when he was doing that record but how much did he work on honor well, among thieves because i know eddie did, was on it too eddie did 90 percent of it jack would check you know and everything and the only thing he he came in on um not enough you know he said do something different you know one and there's one part where um don't tell me you're in misery where the band go da, 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 da. you better edit this shit out <laughs> da, 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 da. but but he um he he wanted that part in there and then, then he loved halftime grooves so you know steve and i would played a little halftime groove and then we went back into the song and that really is the only thing he actually you know arranged or produced on that album and and you know the thing i miss is the like i said the tones i was so disappointed and i don't i don't know who to blame i you know it's it's a water way under the bridge but it just i remember when I reflect back, I remember coming up to, to put percussion on. I'm going, where the hell is the depth? I don't hear any air between the instruments or something. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't articulate it. I still can't, but uh, you know, it's just, it just sounds so one dimensional as opposed to, you know, a great album sounds there's depth to it, you know? Well, I love that album, it's, but it's definitely, very different from the first album, but which is just what you're describing is what's missing from it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a depth. The one song that I, um, I is you keep a knocking on that album. I can't mm -hmm. remember. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not, I love little Richard's version, but, but, uh, Eddie, the band sort of had, the way he recorded it and the, the way it just sort of had more depth than a lot of the songs on that album. It, like Hey Boys and sounds so freaking great when we were doing the basics and then it just sounds so like it's just dr stick figures on a piece of paper as opposed to a movie. I And I'm not blaming Eddie. I don't know what it was. It could have been the transfer from tape to vinyl. You know, I mean, there's a lot of shit that goes on that I... I have no clue. Did you do it at the record plant? Yeah. Yeah. And Sterling Sound, I believe, which is, you know, stellar reputation. I don't know what happened. Um, I know that. And, I, I know Eddie and Jack went way back. Like, they were, like, high school friends oh, or yeah, something, they, they? they? were band members in a band called, I think, Privilege. Yeah, Privilege. Yeah, they and, were um, on the Isley Brothers label or something. Yeah, exactly. And Do you know uh, that story oh, about Eddie, when they went over to England, yes, they wouldn't let him in. The boat. Oh man, <laughs> I heard it from both of them. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie was so freaking funny. I don't, I don't know what's up with him, where he is, or whatever, but he is funny as shit. And he'd always wear these tailor-made suits and smoke these little stogies. He looked like Bat Masterson or something, you know. God, what a character. Well, I just I guess I would just like to know more about how that album happened and how it came together. 
because uh, it seems you know you you must have lost your record deal, right? We we lost Columbia, and we were. Um, I know she's just my baby. We were recording it with um, at Bias Studios, a local studio, and it was a demo tape for I think Warner Brothers, and we sent a tape and that that version that she's just my baby was passed by warner brothers and another song was passed by somebody else so we it's kind of like a, a quilt of of things and and we had a wonderful guitar player for a short time um before we got peter after gary cox left and um name Abad Bayram that was an Indian that went out, you know, he was in Ras and, um, which Tommy Keene was in right, and then right. Tommy Keene. Yeah. And, and it, um, but he was awesome. And we, we became so Rolling Stones like, and I, I don't think any of our recordings ever really survived, but it was, he kicked our ass. And then, then we, we were doing more demos and we hired a studio musician, Peter Bonta, and he just fit in so well. We asked him to join and it took a lot of pressure off Gary cause he was the only guitar player. And, um, plus he added a lot, you know, right. and he could deliver live. Uh, and he, and Peter went on to play with the Roslyn. I mean, the Roslyn mountain boys, Mary Chapin Carpenter, um, you know, I mean, he and now he moved to Italy and he's playing with a guy I can't think of his name, but um, great musician. I mean, he's the real deal. So, how does the the album end up being such a mix? Like, she's just my baby, and come close to me are just uh, straight up power pop songs. But then, like now or never mind. And it's a lie. Those sound a lot like uh, "Honor Among Thieves," you know, like "Not Enough" or "Keep Me Happy" kind of song. So you've got a great mix yeah. there. I, I think, um, you know, we just played what was in our hearts, and uh, we didn't have enough in our tool bags to play anything else. We weren't great, you know. We just had to. And if they wrote a song that, you know, I mean that they were affected by the raspberries and Tom Petty and, mm, you know, yeah. a lot of power pop and a lot of rock and roll. I, I mean, just, you know, we're, we basically, and I think all musicians, you, you basically ingest a bunch of stuff and you spit out what, you know, and they call that art. <laughs> <laughs> and that record comes out in 1980. So that's like, uh, it seems like it came when you're listening to it. It seems like it came out earlier, you know, but um, um, probably a lot of songs. I mean, we lost our contract. I don't know what in '78 or '9, and then we we never stopped playing really. Our recording, I should say, we were, you know, trying to get a con and and um, Hank Lacani. Le was keeping us busy, you know, keeping, making it so we could make rent. And was um, Ariola, uh, 
I don't know if I ha- even have any other records on that label. I don't think it's a real label. I, yeah. I think it's just a throw off of Arista, you know, kind of like Pilot Records was really Columbia. You know, it was back then, it, you know, there was so much money in the record industry and everything. And, you know, David Krebs was a golden boy with, you know, Aerosmith. And so. So did they give you any kind of promotion for that record? I know I've seen on YouTube there's some TV appearances, I think, that you did when that record came out. Well, I mean, Hank paid for some videos, and uh, it was a funny... I mean, when when we first did those videos, we were going to lip sync, and I hate that, but... Yeah. So the first, the first time they shot it, the guy didn't notice until halfway through and um i wasn't playing with any sticks i was just pretending like i was playing you know (laughs) and the producer goes do you want to do this or you want to fuck around (laughs) (laughs) so i said well i i'm not good enough to fake it i mean i i i want to really hit it so i had to tape my drums if you look there's so much tape on you know because the band couldn't hear the track we were playing because, you know, and, and it was, we've all felt embarrassed. It was like swimming in a swimming pool without any suit on or something. Oh, that must be so hard to do. Oh, it's so embarrassing yeah. too, yeah. And then, you know, and to fake it uh, in front of people, like we had this simulation where we're playing in a club or something. And yeah, right, we're, right. But we had recorded it the night before or whatever, and, and so it's just basically a live, live version of honor and wayside and um i think a girl Shala, a girl la 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 is, is done on that right I think. right we do that where all, all of a sudden there's one girl and then there's two and then the whole stage gets filled with girls and yeah it's pretty oh so those were like promotional pretty, videos okay i thought it was like a right, tv show yeah or something exactly were, I, okay i i think you know mtv was just kicking yeah. in and you know and they were trying to yeah, it's a lie. That twelve-string guitar song. I, they made us change the name of it. I, I can't remember what it was originally. Tell you the news was the original name, but I think they, the, the people were upset because I think Steely Dan or something had a, but it had nothing to do with that. It wasn't. So. So what happened after Rayvon? You it didn't go anywhere. The band just split up then, or. Yeah, Bill was getting squeezed. He, you know, had a kid and he was just tired of not making any money. You know, yeah. we we all didn't, we, you know, the bad thing about just being normal people, we all lived in our own house and had, you know, trying to have families and stuff. And we weren't living in a communal house and selling drugs. So the the hard times really hit us really hard and when bill left you know we didn't have anything left um and peter went on to play with mary chapin carpenter and i steve and i went on to play with a guy named jeff smith who's a great songwriter and gary went to play with a bod for a while and did it did his own solo thing for a while but you know nothing really caught fire 